Good morning. Why don't you turn to someone next to them and just shake their hand and say, it's good you're here. Now, I don't know if we can do something with our light. I'm trying to get my sort of screen to show a little bit at the back. I think it's reasonable. Can you see the screen at the back? There's a little bit bright. That's it. We can do something with the light. lights. That's it. Okay, excellent. We are going to read some verses from John chapter 14. So let's do that straight away. Then we'll get into our introduction. John chapter 14, verse 6 through to 24. John 14, 6 to 24. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, uh, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you've not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father." Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, the other one, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him and said, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, send your spirit to us. Send your word to us. Send your son by his spirit and presence to us now, we pray. Speak to our hearts and minds. Amen. Now, our series is called, we can go back one, if we can go back one, Keep It Simple, Saints. And the aim of this series is to simply and clearly present the heart of the good news message from the Bible, that God loves us, that he sent his son to die for us, and that we can know him. And week by week, we want to present you simple aspects and parts of that message. Today is a simple summary of the heart of what it means to be a true believer in Jesus and a true follower of him. And to help us know that, we've got four simple things from this passage this morning. So let's have the next slide up. And there's a little word that I want you to Start to learn right now, and it's the word cloud. 
And that's going to be how we remember today's message. Unfortunately, it's not spelt the way it should be spelt. This is the way you probably spelt it when you were about six and a half years old. K-L-O-W-D. Cloud. But if you can remember those four letters and that word, these are the four simple keys to the center of Christian life and being a true follower of Jesus. So let's look at the first one. The first one is K, and it comes from this passage, and it's know God. Jesus said to him in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The goal of the Christian life is to come to the Father. The goal of the Christian life is to know God as Father. That is where Jesus is taking us, to know God as Father. What does that look like in real terms? About nine months after I became a Christian, my father died and my parents had separated and divorced long before that, so I was on my own in the world. And I took lodgings in a house in the city of Oxford, near the city centre. And by that time, I'd returned to studying. I'd left education, but felt called by God to return and invest some more in my life in that way. And during those days, I was very much alone. I had two houses, uh, two rooms at the top of a house with a very decent family who took me in and, and looked after me but I was pretty much on my own. During those days, I discovered God as my father. I came to know him intimately, more closely, day by day. One day I was walking out of my room to go off to um, the, the College of Education that morning to study my A-levels, and I just felt God speak to me and say, go back, there's more to pray about. So I went back into my room. And as I was there, the presence of God came into the room. The power of God fell on me. And God started to deliver me from some demonic power in my life. Even without the pastor praying for me, God was there, laying hands on me in the spirit, driving out that demon and bringing his peace and victory into my life. We can all know God as Father. And that's an aspect of how that works for us practically. Jesus says this in John chapter 17, verse 3, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. By the way, you'll notice in these two verses here, there is no other way to know God other than through Jesus. No other leader, no other religion, no other philosophy, no other way. Only through Jesus can you and I know God and know him as Father the way Jesus has known him. Amen? There's a lot of people who don't believe that, by the way, even in some churches, but this is the teaching of Jesus himself. Now, a little question for you. What's the longest you've ever waited in a queue? All right, let's start with that. Who likes waiting in queues? Hands up. Anybody? Okay, nobody. Okay. Has anybody ever waited more than an hour in a queue? Okay. How do you, anybody ever waited more than two hours in a queue? Okay, quite a few of you. Is it a pleasant experience? Well, I said it's not normally unless... Well, not with children anyway, says Karis. Depends what you're waiting for, doesn't it, and why you're waiting. Some people are prepared to wait a long time in a queue. Look at this picture here. These guys are waiting in a queue. You can see they've come fully prepared for a long wait. And it's not to buy a stamp at the post office. This is a group of fans waiting to see their favorite boy band. And they are prepared to wait 
a long time. Take a look at these guys here on this next picture. This is a group of slightly older fans. They started waiting on Wednesday afternoon, and the Take That concert they were waiting for started on Saturday night. They waited all of that time. They must really like that particular music. <laughs> that is a long wait. Now, here's the funny thing. People in our society will generally think, well, that's an okay thing to do. If you really like the band, wait for them. Uh, when Richard and Manuela were getting to know each other, it's our son Rich and his now wife, when they were just um, going out and leading up to that stage, they got engaged. Manuela and her sister, Sarah, like tennis. And they happened to come, I'm sure there's no coincidence in this, while Wimbledon was on. And they wanted to see something at Wimbledon. Well, they keep a portion of the tickets in Wimbledon, and they give them out on the day. In order to get a ticket, you have to queue early. So Manuela and her sister Sarah had their first experience of camping, British style, which is a little basic tent and a couple of air beds. And anyway, Rich set it all up, and he put these two in the tent, and they waited in the queue all night the next day, but they got their reward. They got to see some really canny tennis on number one court, on center court, but the next best thing. So it was a good day for them. It was worth waiting. Imagine the joy of one young man. He's only, I think, a teenager. He's standing to watch his favorite celebrities go into a special party, and along comes a few more celebrities. One of them was Jerry Halliwell, she of Spice Girls fame. And she's on her own. She's got no date. So she comes along like this, and she's, everybody else is in couples. And do you know what she does? She walks up to the crowd, the fans there, and she reaches over to this young guy, he must only be a teenager, said, would you like to be my date tonight and come into the party with me? Now, that was a cue worth waiting for if you're that kind of fan, wasn't it? And you wanted to get into an A-list kind of celebrity party. So she took him from under the barrier, I'm sure the security men were horrified, and took him in for the evening. Imagine you're... Instagram account the next day with all the selfies that you could get from that. I mean, his likes must have gone up from three to about four million or something like that. It's not unusual for us to wait a long time expectantly if the end result is worth it. So here's a question for you. If it was announced that God was coming to the Metro Arena next week, would you go? God himself in person in his form, because God does have a form, is going to appear in the metro arena next Wednesday night at 7.30. When would you start queuing for that? I'm sure you'd want to be near the front to get a good look. Probably start this afternoon, wouldn't you? I mean, that's got to be worth it. Something like this happened to me. I was about 16 years old, so this is about 20 years ago, and more or less, perhaps a bit more than less. And I hear that a well-known celebrity is coming to a church in our city where I lived at the time, Oxford. I'd love to see this guy. My cousin was a big fan. His name was, is, Cliff Richard. Now, that probably doesn't mean a lot to some of you, but in my generation, that means a lot. So I go to this meeting, and the queue is enormous. I mean, it stretches round the corner. I thought I'd gone early, but it's right round the corner, around the block. There's no chance of getting in to see who is now Sir Cliff. But my cousin is right at the front of the queue. She's about fifth from the front, and she invites me to, to come in and join her at the front. I skipped the whole queue, and I got to Cliff with Olivia Newton-John as well. I mean, come on. Some of you have got no idea who I'm talking Anyway, don't worry. It, it, was, it was big in its day, okay? Um, if, you, if you laugh with me, you're giving your age away. So imagine if you're in that queue to see God, and while you're waiting way down the back, because everybody's got there before you, along comes God's son and says, Oh, Andy, what are you doing back here? Come with me. Why don't you come to the front of the queue with me, and we'll sit in my special favored box here 
to see my dad. You can go back to your seat if you want to, because I'm not saying that. <laughs> Listen, that's what Jesus does. He finds you at the back of the queue, and he takes you to the front. Because he's preaching to his disciples here, and because he's preaching to them as disciples, he's also preaching to us as disciples in the same way today. Know God. Jesus wants you to be introduced to his Father. He doesn't want you way down the back of the queue looking through binoculars in the hope that you'll see a pinpoint on the stage in the distance. Amen? That is the first step of truly following Jesus is to know God. Second one is L. Love Jesus. Uh, oh, I've missed a slide. Oh. Jesus says, if you love me. Jesus uses the word love eight times in this passage. So it must be important to him to mention it so much. Why love God? Why love Jesus? Why not fear Jesus or respect him or give your money to him or something else? Love is what he's really after. Love joins us in relationship. Love inspires. Love motivates. Love gives its best and keeps giving its best. Now, I want to show you a picture here to illustrate this theme of love. I'm going to step outside the Bible. Does anybody know who this couple are, were, is? Can you see on this? Anybody, any idea who this couple might be? Old. The picture is old, but that, that's how younger people looked in those days. I heard a word over here. The Curies. This is Pierre and Marie Curie. Here's a little bit of the story behind them. In 1891, Marie Slodowska was born in Poland. She had a remarkable life. We can't tell you the whole story now, but she had to work as a governess. She paid her own way, and she wanted to study physics. So she went to France, to Paris, to study in the Sorbonne, and there she met Pierre, her husband, the love of her life. These two had a passion for each other. Fell in love, they got married. And they had a passion for the same work together, physics. And they worked with their professor, who was called Professor Becquerel, and together they worked on radioactivity. Professor Becquerel had discovered that this mysterious substance could pass through solid materials, and these mysterious rays could even fog photographic plates. And so they began their work under him. And they were driven by a passion for each other, and they had the same vision the same heart and desire in life to work in the same field together. And so they did. Later, tragically, Pierre was killed in a, in a road accident and Marie carried on the work. Every time you have an x-ray, you've got Marie Curie to thank. During the First World War, after the death of her husband, she pioneered a, a machine, I think they called it a fluoroscope, and she took it to the, the trenches to see into the legs and on the arms or the injuries of the soldiers. They could find the bullets for the first time on the pieces of shrapnel that were lodged in the soldiers and remove them and help save them. It all came out of love. Two people who loved each other, who had the same heart and vision, the same desire to work together. That's where your x-rays came from. Isn't that amazing? She actually became the first woman ever to win a Nobel Prize. They won two Nobel Prizes. It was even harder for women in those days, but she broke through all of that, got through that glass ceiling, and twice was awarded a Nobel Prize for her outstanding work in science. That's the power of love. And Jesus calls us to love him, to share the same passion as he does to share the same vision that he has, to 
be together with him. And out of that togetherness, do something wonderful, amazing in life. Even just having a little Jonah. It's awesome what togetherness and love can do with Jesus. Jesus wants each one of us to join with him in a lifetime in a journey of discovery. He wants each one of us to be motivated by a love for him. I grew up with an interesting group of friends, my brother included. Our passion in life was motor vehicles. And all you had to do to tell that was undo our shirt sleeve like this and roll up the sleeve like this, and you would see a black oil line around our wrists. And if you pulled our collars apart, you would see a black oil line around our necks. We didn't go in for washing much as boys in those days. We were always taking engines apart and fixing things. And the wash went about as far as that, and then the dirt was pushed up there. And if we had to go anywhere posh, we'd just put a clean shirt on over the top, pull the cuffs down, did the collar up, and hope nobody would notice. Until... until Johnny met Sharon. Then Johnny started to wash the black line off his neck and off his wrists. It's amazing what love can do. Years and years of not washing off the black line ended overnight when Johnny met Sharon. Same when my brother met a young lady. The black line suddenly disappeared overnight. We will do for love what we won't do for anything else. We'll do for others what we won't do for ourselves. And Jesus calls us to know God as Father and to love him because love is the greatest motivation there is. And out of love comes remarkable things. At the end of his life, if we can go back to the verse, just back one slide here, Peter has to discover this all over again. He's messed up. He's denied Jesus He's done the thing he said he wouldn't do. And three times, you'll know the story very well if, you've re if you read your Bible at all. Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Not do you want to serve me? Not do you want to obey me? Not do you want to do my works? He says to him, do you love me? Jesus knows if he can answer that question, all the other questions will be answered. Love is the key. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You know I do. And from that moment, Peter steps into a different life. When he settles the issue that he loves Jesus, his life changes permanently and never goes back. Even at this point, I can ask you this morning, can we settle the issue? Do we love Jesus? Do we love him? more than these, more than stuff, more than what we want to do. Because if we do, that's life-changing. The third thing, so that's K-L, and then we tap O-W, obey his word. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. Now, it can't be clearer than that. If we love Jesus, we will keep to what he says. Now, why does he tell us that? Why does Jesus make such a big deal about obeying him and keeping to his word? Because on the face of it, it doesn't sound too, too enthralling. It doesn't sound too inviting. Obey. Do what somebody else says. There's a good reason why Jesus wants to obey his word. He wants you and me to have the best life possible in God. Look at the person next to you and say, the best life possible. And if you're married to them, say, the best wife possible. <laughs> Jesus wants us to know God, to love him, Obey his word so that we can have the best possible life God wants for us, both in the future and eternity and now. Now, if we don't follow Jesus' word, 
This is what's going to happen. Let me see if I can represent this. I've got a little video to show you. There's no sound with it. It's a security camera. Keep your eye on the little dot in the distance and watch. Oh, I just moved my table with the water. Watch the dot. Oops. This is a warehouse full of goods. The forklift driver comes along and he thinks he can get his forklift through that little gap there. It's not a big, I'll just try it. Surely nothing much can happen if it doesn't work. And then it all leads to that. The reason Jesus came, the reason he wants to bring us to the Father, the reason he wants us to love him, the reason he calls us out of that love to obey his word is because of that. Because if we don't obey his word, I can promise you this, one way or another, that's what will happen to your life. You may know some people whose lives have done the equivalent of that with their feelings, with their finances, with their relationships, with their health, with many aspects of their life. It's ended up a kind of train wreck like that. Jesus' word will stop that happening to us in life. Now, if it's that simple, why don't we all just obey his word? See, there's something about us here. So a few years back, when I was praying about myself and wondering, God, why do I keep driving this forklift truck into the shelf called my life? God spoke to me. I want to show you on screen what he showed me about myself. First of all, he showed me a circle. And he said, this circle represents sin in your life. And we're talking about the things people see, outward sins, you know, robbery, theft, stealing, angry outbursts, and, and all that kind of stuff that we would say are sins. And then God showed me another circle inside of that, and he said, this is the attitudes and the inward thoughts and feelings behind that sin, things like lust and jealousy and unforgiveness and resentment and wrong expectations, all those things that lodge inside of us that lead to those things outside. And then he said to me, there's a third circle. And in that third circle, there was just one word, and it was the word rebellion. And God said to me, this is the problem with the human heart that the center of every single person is something that says, I want to do this my way. I want to do what I want, not what you want, not what they want, but what I want. Don't want to do what you want. Don't want to do what they want. Just want to do what I want, not what you want, not what they want. I want to do what I want to do. I want to do it my way. And that's the problem for every single person on the planet. Now, some people are very obviously like this. Other people are very nice and respectable. They cover it up. They're polite about doing it their way, but it's their way nonetheless. They're very intellectual or very questioning, or very skeptical. There's any number of ways of covering this up, but at the center, whether you're posh or you're not posh, whether you are refined or not refined, 
whether you're from the north, the south, east, or the west, inside the heart of every one of us resides a little voice that says, I did it my way. And that is the problem when it comes to obeying Jesus' word. There's the challenge. Knowing God, loving Jesus, and understanding being changed from the inside and having that rebel put to death through what we call being born again, that's where the power comes to defeat that little inner voice that's so strong that says, I want to do it my own way. And this is how bad this gets. I was in the United States a few years ago. I'm going to tell a story now about the Americans. So if you're American by birth or origin here, I'm really sorry, because I'm going to tell a story that's going to make you look really bad. Because we all know the British is superior to the Americans. And if you live in this country, I'm counting as British, whatever your origin. You've been here a few years, you're British as far as I'm concerned, and you're, you're as posh and as wonderful as the rest of us. But we're going to pray for the Americans in a moment. But I'm just going to tell you how bad it gets over there. I heard a sermon by an American preacher about Americans. Now, you understand, this could never be us. This is only Americans. And this is what he said. He said... The problem with America is this, that 200-odd years ago, when we got our independence, by the way, if you're applying for British citizenship, they ask you a question, when did that happen? So you need to learn that date. I got it wrong. I got the end of the war in 1776, but I think it was a year or two later, so make sure you get the right date. Anyway, he said this, he said that, we got our independence through a rebellion. We rebelled against the British. Actually, that probably wasn't a bad thing at the time. It's probably the best thing they've ever done. Um, but seriously, they, they, they rebelled against the British. And he said the problem for us was, was this, that after we fought that war and we won, that attitude that mentality, that spirit of rebellion against authority didn't leave us. We kept on as American citizens in that same spirit. That's what our nation was founded on. It was founded on a spirit of rebellion. And he said, the problem for all of you as Americans is this. You don't like authority. You don't want the feds to come and take your guns away. Oh, I'm being really controversial here, aren't I? You don't want to obey authority in this respect. You want to be free Americans. He said, that spirit of independence and rebellion is still with us. We never got rid of it after we got rid of the British. It's still with us now. And he said, actually, you can tell because of the way people are in church. Because whether it's the president of America or it's the pastor in the church that says, hey, that's not good for you. Why would you want to do that? I'm going to a new church. This one tells me what to do. Nobody tells me what to do. I'm a free-spirited American. Now, of course, that would never happen in Britain. You understand that. We're not like that at all. It's those Americans over there. Us, we're all free of this spirit. But I just thought, as a hypothetical example, it would entertain you to know about that this morning. Of course not. It's in us as much as it is. It just shows you how... Once we get into this rut of rebellion, we get stuck in it. And of course, it's not the American problem. It's the whole world's problem. Everybody's like it. They've just manifested it in one way. We can manifest it in all kinds of other ways, whatever background we're from, because it's there in every one of us. It's something we have to face up to and conquer. Now, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus fought the number one greatest spiritual battle, and he accomplished his greatest victory ever when he knelt down and said, Lord, not my will be done, but yours. That is spiritual warfare par excellence. That is spiritual warfare at its greatest and its best. When you and I yield to God and we say, not what I want, but what you want. Not what I want to do, but what you want to do in me. Not where I want to go, but where you want me to go. 
not what I want to do, but what you want me to do. Now, I just feel the Holy Spirit stick a little example in my head, so I'll just say it now because I feel it's there. Many of you, of course, most of you know this story, but I'll just repeat it again. You will remember the story of Pastor Caesar's watch where he had this very expensive watch given to him. He didn't know how much it cost until he had it valued for insurance purposes, and he was horrified. It had lots of noughts at the end of it. This guy gave him a watch, and it was jewels and gold and all the rest. Of it. it was worth thousands, tens of thousands. So when he found out the value of it, he loved it even more. <laughs> I mean, it was nice up till then, but when, when it came to the time God spoke to him and said, I want you to give that watch to this pastor, then a tension took place in his heart. Do I give the watch or don't I? And the Lord said to him, what's the most precious thing you have? Well, I love you, Lord, and my family. He said, yeah, now, come on, what's your most precious possession, thing you've got? Be real with me here. And he said, well, my watch. He said, right, I want your watch. You can't have that. That's my watch. I got that. This is my will. This is that little rebellious, independent spirit. I can keep this watch for myself. You can have all of me, you can have all my ministry, you can have all my family, but I'm keeping the watch. You see how this works? A little thing like that can trap us. Anyway, he does this thing. He, he, he did this, what you would do as a spiritual person. He put out a fleece. And he said, Lord, I'm going to go to... It's the end of the conference. The pastor's uh, leaving. I'm going to go to his hotel, sit in the lobby. If he's left, then I'm not giving him the watch. If he's there, and by such and such a time, then I'll give him the watch. You know those kind of fleeces you set, God. You know, Lord, if, a, if a, a, a person in a Japanese admiral's uniform on a bicycle stops outside my house at 10 past nine, I'll say it's you, but otherwise it's, it's, it's not. So he sits in the lobby of the hotel where the, he knew this guy was staying, but it's the end of the conference. He's hoping he's gone. He probably has gone. And he's just thinking, right, that's the time pass. Standing up, leave, getting ready to go, and the lift door opens, and who should step out of the lift? But the guy, he's the pass he's supposed to give the watch to. So he's told this story several times, but this is how he told it to me in person in his house. He said, I went up to him, I took the watch off, and I said, here's the watch I've got <laughs> to give you. And his teeth were together like that. And all, something has to die inside at this point. Ah, and I hear the watch. And they go, oh, thank you very much, very nice. And to, to his great dismay, the guy took it. I mean... If he obviously wasn't British, if British would have said, oh, no, old chap, that's perfectly all right. We don't do that, so I'm far too polite to accept that. But the guy took it. So then he's got no watch. So a little while later, he buys an ordinary stainless steel watch. That's the watch he's wearing when he's fired on in the car by the man with the machine gun. And 10 of those bullets went into the car. The doctor told him afterwards that the bullet that was going towards the place where it would have killed you was deflected by the watch. He said, fortunately, you had a very hard watch on. It was made of stainless steel. If you had a gold watch on or something like that, it wouldn't have deflected enough, and I, I wouldn't be talking to you now. You'd be dead. Isn't that amazing? God loves us. He says things to us that we need to hear and do, even when we don't know the outcome. That is real trust even when it's worth tens of thousands of dollars. He would not be here today if he'd held on to that watch. Not my will, but yours be done. Now, let's remind ourselves again, what happens to us if we follow our own way? You get a repeat performance. Here you go. Just look how much of this falls down. And by the way, I often wonder what happened to the driver and those guys at the front there. It's called the law of unintended consequences. That's what happens when we follow our own way. 
Very interesting watching you, watching that, by the way. There's people's different temperaments come out here. Some of you going, oh, that poor person in Sunday saying, well, that's so funny. <laughs> Do you know what the good news is? If your life is like Peter, and that's what happens to you, Jesus will come along and put everything back on the shelf. You know that? You're not on your own clearing that mess up. He will come along and clear that up with you. Amen. So it's know God, love Jesus, obey his word, and finally, do his works. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, it's possible to mistake God's work with human activity. It's possible to have a very busy life and be a decent, good, honest, hardworking person, but actually still not do God's works. It's possible to actually use our activity as a reason for not doing God's works. There is a difference between activity and works. When you step into God's work, a new energy, a new satisfaction, a new peace a new sense of fulfillment in life comes upon you. Peter, after Jesus restored him by asking him if he loved him, stepped into God's work. Started some prayer meetings up. Good prayer meetings. Ended up looking like the building was on fire. Then they won 3,000 people to the Lord in a day. Then he would walk down the streets and pray for the sick. And when people heard about it, if they couldn't get close enough to touch him, just his shadow passing over them would heal them. Isn't that amazing? Jesus, they had to touch. Peter, it was just his shadow. No wonder Jesus said, even greater works than these will he do. Take a look at this photo here. This good-looking young man was a sailor in the Navy. And he wanted to do what he could for God. And this is what he did. He would go out to a certain place in his town every week, every day, with a goal, I will ask one question to 10 people. So he did. He would go out into the town center, stand there, and he would aim to ask this question to at least 10 people. And he did that every day for 16 years. They reckoned he asked over 100,000 people. He never knew what happened to any of them. Until one day, uh, a church leader from England who'd come across two people who said, you know, I was walking down the street and this funny little man stepped out and asked me this question. He said, is it on such and such a street? That happened to me too. And then he was traveling with ministry and he went somewhere else in another part of the world and the guy that was in charge of this whole Christian movement, there was about a thousand pastors there, he said, you know, I became a Christian when I was walking down the street. This funny little man stepped out and asked me this one question and it so got into my life I couldn't get rid of the question. And in the end, I became a Christian out of it. There are hundreds and hundreds of church leaders all over the world because of that man asking them one question. In other words, it doesn't take a great deal to do God's work. Funny thing was, when he was old and retired and, and too old to go out and, and do that anymore, he knew nothing of what had happened until this pastor from England turned up, found him living in, uh, out in the outback in Australia and said, but don't you realize what's happened? He said, no, I've never had any feedback. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pastors all over the world because of you. They've all got the same testimony. This man on that street asked me the question. 
Isn't that amazing? His name's Frank Jenner. Died a few years ago. And he probably asked that question over 100,000 times. Would you like to know what the question was? <laughs> it was a question he felt God gave him. He said, I'll, I'll use John. Young man. That's right, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's happy with the question so far. Young man, if you died tonight, would you be ready to meet God and go to heaven? That was all he asked him. Would you be ready tonight, young man? That's the question that turns thousands of lives around. It doesn't take a lot to do God's work. Just someone that knows God, loves Jesus, obeys his word, and is willing to do his works and not to be caught up so much with their own activity that they make excuses. There it is. That's the Christian life in a nutshell. Let's get those four things back up there again, shall we? Our next slide. Keep it simple, saints. Cloud. Now, before we do this, can you tell me what K stands for? L. O. W. And D. Let's do that one more time because it's on the side there behind the drum kit. That's it. That's how you get to be a true follower of Jesus. Those four simple steps. And our series is all about reminding us of the simplicity and the straightforwardness of being a true follower of Jesus. So the question I have at the end of all of this is, is this truly my life? When I look at myself in the mirror, is this what I'm about? Do I know God, love Jesus, obey his word, and do his works? Because if I do, then I can answer Frank Jenner's question really well. Yes, I'm ready to go meet him tonight. But if I don't, then maybe I can't answer that question so well. I want to finish with one more slide here. We can put that up. This is a simple prayer that's hidden behind the drum kit. don't know if anybody can cut out. I don't know, James, if you can just crash out the slide and just lift the text box up, text box up a little bit on that slide and then put it back up on the screen for us. I'm just going to offer us a simple prayer to finish with. And there's two kinds of responses to this. There's the person who's never, ever known God, loved Jesus, obeyed his word and done his works. There's somebody who's never been a Christian yet. And there are those of us who've started down that road, but maybe we've got stuck. Maybe like Peter, other things have gotten away. Either way, we can commit to those four simple keys right now and see the transformation that God brings in our lives through it. How are we doing, James? You've only dragged that text box away. Pop it back up for us. There we are, thank you. You can just see above the drum kit there now. So I'm just, I'm just going to read this through with us, and then I'm going to invite us to stand and say this together. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I turn right now from all of my own way and all my sin. I ask you now for your full and total forgiveness for all my sin and all my rebellion. I give you my whole life to know you, to love you, to obey your word, and to do your works. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So I'm going to invite now as many as want to pray that prayer for one of those two reasons to stand and pray this with us. You don't have to. This is if God is touching your heart. Let's read this through as a prayer together. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I turn right now from all of my own way and all my sin. I ask you now for your full and total forgiveness for all my sin and all my rebellion. I give you my whole life to know you, to love you, to obey your word and to do your work. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And I just feel one other question on my heart from the Holy Spirit before we pray and finish now. Here's the question from the Lord. Would you have given him the watch 
would you have given him the watch? Would you have given that pastor the watch? That's the question to test ourselves with this. Your most precious, treasured heirloom and possession, would you have given it if God had asked you to? That's the test. If you can say yes, then you've really prayed that prayer and it's called for you. Father, we thank you now. You want to know us. You want us to love you, love Jesus, and be loved by you. You want us to obey your words so we can avoid those kind of train crash experiences in life and do life in the best possible way with you. You want us to live for you and do your work. Lord, thank you. You love us this much. You care about us this much. You call us in this way. And Lord, I thank you for everyone here who's prayed this prayer. Simple as it is, it is a powerful declaration of what track our lives are going to be on from here on. Thank you, Lord. Now, if you've prayed that prayer for the first time and you want to know Jesus, while we're in this place of prayer, I want you just to raise your hand so we can see and talk to you afterwards. Is there anyone who's prayed this for the first time and wants to know Jesus? Hand here, anyone else? Thank you, Jesus. I'll give you one more moment. Anyone else? Anyone wants to come back to God because they know they've been away with Him, away from Him? So I'm offer this chance for us. Anyone's been distant from God and knows they want to get right with God? I'll give you a chance to raise your hand now so we can pray with you afterwards and encourage you in the great step you're taking. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. You see those hands? Thank you. Lord, thank you. We pray this week we will draw closer to you, be more in love with you, obey your word more, and do your works more. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all very much. That's the end of the message. Just get Ben and Karis back to finish the meeting.